We're in a series in the book of Acts, and if you were with us last weekend, we're in chapter 3, and what an incredible miracle that we learned about last week. Peter and John at the hour of prayer were on their way to the temple, and no, it's not coincidentally, there was a man that was lame from his mother's womb for 40 years. Later on in Acts, it tells us how long, for 40 years. And at that precise moment when Peter and John are walking into the temple through the gate called Beautiful, this man was there. He looked to them expecting money. Peter said, look at me. He looked at Peter and he said, silver and gold I do not have, but such as I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then Peter reached out his hand, grabbed the hand of the lame man, and the lame man stood up, healed miraculously for the first time in his life. He was standing upright. It was such a notable miracle, it captured the attention of everybody that was around uh, that individual at that moment. He walked into the temple with Peter and John. The Bible says he was leaping, he was dancing, he was rejoicing. More people gathered, and as the people gathered, Peter uh, took the opportunity of the occasion and he began to preach Jesus to the people. So we want to take a step back as we continue our study here. We're going to pick up in verse 12 of Acts 3. That's where we left off last week. And we're going to answer the question today, does God heal? Does God still heal today? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in the book of Psalms 103, verses 2 and 3. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Everybody say benefits. Look to your neighbor and say there are benefits to serving God. There are benefits to serving God. And what are those benefits? Well, the psalmist goes on to say, who forgives all of our iniquity and who heals all of our diseases. So not only can God forgive you of all your sins, but according to the Bible and the promises of Scripture, this one in particular, he can also heal all of your diseases. The Apostle Paul said, writing to the Corinthians, that all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen. And so we're going to take God at his word, and we're going to stand in faith and trust him for his grace and blessing to become real in your life today. Uh, Churches, churches should, uh, churches that are Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, churches that are biblically based, churches that are spirit-led, spirit-formed, and spirit-filled, churches that want to lift up Jesus, churches that want to see people's lives changed, That's the kind of church we want to be and we strive to be. Those churches should be healing centers. A church should be a place that people could come with their brokenness, can come with their pain, can come with their struggles, can come with their addictions, can come with their checkered past, can come with any physical or mental sickness or disease that they may be battling, and they should be able to come, and this should be a center that promotes health and wholeness and healing. And we do it in a way with, of love. We do it in a way of compassion. We don't do it in a way to try to manipulate God or manipulate a, a, other individuals or tr- to try to play or act God in someone's life, but to simply allow the ministry of Jesus to flow in all that we do because the ministry of Jesus is a ministry of wholeness, and it's a ministry of healing. Matter of fact, the Bible describes Jesus in the Gospels that he went about doing three things. He went about teaching, preaching, and healing the sick. Teaching, preaching, and healing the sick. That's what defined the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. I love Acts 10, 38. I love that it tells us that God anointed his son Jesus and that he went about healing 
all, all that were oppressed of the devil. So the ministry of Jesus is a healing ministry. And we believe that Jesus is alive today. How many of you believe that Jesus is alive today? Not a trick question. That's why we're here. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. We serve. We give. Right? We believe he's alive. We believe he's coming back. Well, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean? What he did yesterday, he can still do today. What he does today, he can still do tomorrow. He is a wonderful Savior and an all-powerful Savior, and can we thank him for that? Yes. But why should churches be healing centers? Because we all need healing in our lives at different times and at different levels. Erica Rothenberg took a simple everyday piece of life, a small church bulletin board, and turned it into a work of art. Actually, this work of art is displayed in Chicago's Museum of Contemporary Art. And here is this contemporary piece of of artwork. Uh, It's a normal church bulletin that advertises the type of classes and ministries that are available during the week for those that are struggling with addiction or abuse or whatever the struggle of life may be. And then what caught people by surprise is how it ends by talking about Sunday Sermon, America's Joyous Future. And sometimes the church is accused or can be guilty of pie in the sky, everything's all right when everything's not all right. So some people walked away and said, see, that's the hypocrisy of modern Christianity today. This is how the people are really living, and then they preach a a message of of how people are not living. But I don't see it that way. Many walked away from this uh, contemporary display of, of, of art and said, no, What the church is doing is that the church is rolling up its sleeves and it's getting down in the gutter of life. It's getting down in the real trenches of life. It's getting down where people live and is providing hope and healing. And then invites people to come on Sunday. And on Sunday, we don't ignore the problems of the world. We don't ignore the struggles that we may be going through. But we know there's an answer. We know there's a solution. We know there's a hope. We know there's a better future. We know there's a better outcome because that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ provides for us. And what I've realized through my 35 years of walking with Christ, no need in your life or my life is too big or too small. Sometimes we could look at things that we may be struggling with and say, you know, God has more bigger problems to be concerned with, you know, than than my problems. So I'll just bear and grin it. I'll just endure it on my own. But that's not the case. God is wildly crazy about each and every one of you. Uh, God is wildly invested in each and every one of you. God loves and God is concerned and cares about every aspect of your life, every detail, every minute detail of your life. Matter of fact, I mean, what kind of God is our God? He's the kind of God that has every hair on your head numbered. So he knows you and he knows the detail about your life and my life, and he's concerned about that. That reminds me of when I was a teenager. All teenagers have periods of time they go through uh, struggle with self-identity, with a complex, or with something that they may be struggling with. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, maybe what I struggled with wasn't a big deal to others, but for me it was. 
And the Lord was there to provide me strength. And for me, I had a bad case of acne when I was a teenager. And I went through a bad season of acne. And it really affected me, you know, as far as my, my self-confidence, my self-esteem, wanting to be in public. And I dreaded having to go to school every day. And, and then I surrendered my life to Christ. And I began to hear that God cared about everything and that God could bring healing in my life. And, and to most people, maybe it was no big deal. But to me, it wasn't. So I was trusting and praying for God to bring just this, this healing in that area of my life. And I remember I went to school one day. And you know the old saying that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words uh, will never hurt me. Well, that's, you know that's a lie, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to school, uh, high school. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian now. And this acquaintance of mine, a friend of mine, Paul Nunley, uh, who used to live in Lubbock. But anyway, uh, he, he came up to me and he said, Carl, Carl. I said, what? He goes, what's wrong with your face? And I'm like, I don't know, what? He says, it looks like somebody lit it on fire and put it out with a bag of nickels. ah, 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 ah. Well, I wasn't laughing. I was fuming on the inside. I wanted to retire from being a Christian for just, for just half a day because I wanted to take care of business. You know what I mean? And then the Lord reminded me that I was in the healing business, not in, I was not a part of the death squad of God, you know? And uh, so I had to forgive Paul, you know, for that, that uh, pretty hateful comment that he made that he thought was just a joke. But people can say things and things can happen in our life that might bring deep wounds. God's concerned about that. And God's a healing God and God wants to bring healing in our life. I was, uh, we were in Israel and some of the pastors that we had the privilege of traveling with are pretty dynamic men, both they and their wives, and they're pastoring great churches in our, in our country. And one of the pastors pastors a very significant large church in the Dallas area. And he was being transparent and vulnerable with the things he was struggling with as a man of God, as a pastor, pastoring a large church, and, and God is using him in a remarkable way. He was very honest with all the pastors uh, that traveled. He said, you know, I, I suffer, uh, and I'm believing God to bring healing in my life because I have acute anxiety disorder. He said, and uh, he, he's gone public with it. And God is actually using his testimony of what he is currently struggling with to bring hope and healing in the lives of others. He's written a book on it. He's, he's conducted conferences on it. That he is a thriving, successful uh, individual in the kingdom of God, and yet he has this, call it a thorn in the flesh, call it uh, an area in his life of infirmity that he's trusting God with, and he's entrusting it over to God. And he's not allowing that area of infirmity, that area that he's struggling with, he's not allowing it to define who he is. You see, it's, it's important that we don't allow, because all of us like this man in Acts 3, we all have an area of lameness in our own life. This man had physical lameness. He was physically lame. But sometimes it might be an emotional lameness, a mental lameness, a, a physical lameness in our life. And what we need to be careful is that we don't allow our infirmity to define who we are. That we don't allow our problem to become our problem. See, the problem is too many people allow their problems to become the problem. Right? We, we put the problem between us and God instead of putting God between us and the problem. And there's a world of difference, right? Instead of, instead of comparing, our, 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 our comparing God to our problems, we're to compare our problems to God. And all of a sudden, our problems shrink and the bigness of God uh, expands in our life. So he's not allowing his problem to be his problem. He is learning to cope every day by God's grace. You see, God can heal. He can heal instantaneously, or healing can come by way of a process. In this story, it was an instantaneous, miraculous healing, and God can do that. 
And we can trust God to do that in your life and in our lives. But there are times that healing is a process. Uh, there's a story of 10 lepers that came to Jesus one day, and they, they, they needed healing. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the high priest. And the Bible says that as they went, as they went, they were healed. In the process of obeying and walking out uh, the obedience to the command of Christ, as they went, they were healed. So many times in our life, healing can come that way. I remember uh, uh, an extraordinary moment in my life was uh, I was witnessing to my father. He wasn't a Christian at that time. He was not a believer. He was very, very skeptical. And one day my dad became gravely ill. He had a severe case of strep throat. And uh, I've never, I never really saw my dad sick, right? And he was knocked off his feet. I mean, he was just, he was on flat on his back. And I remember I went to, to work and I came back late that afternoon one day. And when I walked in the house, my dad was there because he, he was there sick. And I saw him sitting on the couch and it was as though he had seen a ghost. He looked, he looked like he had seen a ghost. And he said, Carl, I need to talk to you. And I said, yeah, yeah, what's, what's up, dad? I sat down. He said, uh, you know, I don't believe in any of this stuff, right? I'm like, what stuff? Well, you know, this like miracle stuff that you talk about. He said, but, but I was here, homesick, and I was flipping the channels, and I came across this faith healer. Now, how many know there are some charlatan faith healers on TV, and then there's, some, there's the real deal sometimes, right? So he, he came across the channel with the real deal guy, right? And he said, the guy said that he, that he was going to pray for those that were sick, and I'm sitting there like, yeah, right. My dad said that. And he said, so now place your hand on the air of your body that you need healing. So my dad, very skept- in a very skeptical way, like, yeah, what, watch, nothing's going to happen, placed his hand on his throat. This individual prayed a prayer of faith in the name of Jesus, and my dad was instantaneously, supernaturally, miraculously healed. And he said, this Jesus stuff really works. And I'm said, that's what I've been trying to tell you, Dad. Now, the interesting thing is you would have thought that that would have triggered a faith reaction, a faith response out of my dad, that he would have surrendered his heart and life to Christ right there and then. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. It could happen. That's why God sovereignly will do things in our lives because he loves us to get our attention, to draw us closer to him. Sometimes we respond as we should and sometimes we don't, but it doesn't change who God is. That's the beautiful thing. God continues to love us. God continues to reach out to you. God continues to reach out to me because that's his nature. He is a God of love. It wasn't until many years later, even as my dad in the latter years of his life battled with the disease of Parkinson's, and he had cried out to God on many occasions. I had prayed and others had had prayed for him. And as we would define healing based on consensus reality, uh, he wasn't healed, but based on non-consensus reality, okay, we always trust ultimately healing will occur, if not this side of eternity, on the other side, because there's no sickness in heaven, amen? There's no sin in heaven. There's no bondage in heaven. So let's talk about divine healing. Can God heal today? Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Saw what? Everybody gathering around this man that just received a miracle. And he said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One uh, and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life. I know Peter's not pulling any punches on this sermon, right? Whom God raised up uh, from the dead, 
of which we are witnesses. And now I want you to read verse 16 out loud with me. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter is saying, don't look to us. We can't take any credit. That's how you know if somebody that God is using to bring healing in the lives of others is actually from God or not, is first of all, are they putting the, the limelight on themselves or are they shining the light on Jesus? Are they glorifying themselves or are they glorifying Jesus? Now, I know you are a, a smart group of individuals, and you need, we need to get smarter as we get closer to the end times. Because the Bible is very clear that in the last days, there will be lying signs and wonders. The Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet, the unholy trinity, Antichrist, beast, and false prophet. We're looking at doing a, a series on end times next year in 2016, if it doesn't end, if Jesus, doesn't, if Jesus tarries. Um, they will perform lying signs and wonders to deceive the very elect. There will be false Christs and false messiahs and false religious leaders. Satan transforms his ministers, transform them, themselves as angels of light to bring deception. Jesus even said in Matthew 7, on that final day, many will come and stand before me and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we work many wonderful works in your name? And he'll simply say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So just because somebody can pull a rabbit out of a hat, just because somebody could perform a, a bona fide miracle, there are lying signs and wonders. So we don't follow signs. We don't follow wonders. We don't follow faith healers. We don't follow miracle workers. We follow a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And our faith is in him and in the Holy Scriptures. But just because there's the counterfeit out there, it doesn't mean that the real doesn't exist. And so we are people, because we have the Spirit of God, we can discern the real from the counterfeit. Look to your neighbor and say, I know you can discern the difference. Go on, tell them, I, I have faith in you. You know the difference. Now, what brought, this, what brought this miracle into this man's life? Was it Peter? No. Was it the fact that Peter had been on the mountaintop for the past 40 days and 40 nights and had been fasting and in the presence of Almighty God? And when he came down from that mountain of prayer and that mountain of fasting, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with that. He came down from that mountain and the glory of the Lord did shone upon his face. And it was the the shadow of Peter as it passed by this lame man, and this lame man was healed. Oh, all praise to mighty Peter. No! Just a few weeks earlier, he was denying that he even knew Jesus. He gives us the secret, and there's no magic to it. He said, this man stands strong, stands sound and whole because of the name of Jesus and faith in that name. Woo, how do you know there's power in the name of Jesus? You know, the name of Jesus is so precious, so powerful, that, of course, Unbelievers misuse that name, and, and they use God's name and the name of his son in vain all the time, especially in, in America, in American media, in American movies, right? But really, the fact that they are using God's name in vain, in one sense, they're actually praising him. 
Now, they're not, there's no excuse, they're not exonerated for taking God's name in vain, but it says in the book of Psalms 76, verse 10, it says, the wrath of man shall praise you. So even when man is misusing the name, the fact that they're using that name and no other name, they are at, in, admitting that that is the name that is all-powerful and deserving of all glory, amen? But there's power in that name when faith is associated with it. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 3. All these scriptures you can download through the app or go online or get a hard copy at, at, uh, at Guest Central. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There's a story in Acts 19, and it's a story of the seven sons of Sceva who was a high priest. These seven sons of this high priest went out, and they thought they would use the name of Jesus in a magical way. They found this man that was demon-possessed. This is in the Bible. You can read it for yourself. They found this man that, was, that had a demon in him. And they said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we adjure you. Come out of the man. And if you don't think the Bible has humor, just read this story. Right? Because the Bible has humor. Because here's how, what the Bible records. The demon in the man spoke up. And he said, Paul I know and Jesus we know. But who are you? And these guys had no answer for that because they weren't Christ followers. They were misusing the name of Jesus, thinking it was some kind of a, a magical charm, you know, a magical wand that they could wave. And so here's what happens next. The demon gives this demon-possessed man supernatural strength, and he beats up all seven of these, of these guys, strips off their clothes, and sends them running out naked. They are the first streakers in all of Scripture. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if YouTube existed back then? So, uh, does God heal? And if he does, why is there sickness and sin in our world? Well, first of all, there's sin and sickness in our world because of the fall. Because of the fall. In Genesis 1.31, it says that God created everything, and he created everything very good. Everything God does is very good. Husbands, if your, wives, if your wives are with you today, look at them and say, everything God does is very good. Come on, tell them, you are very good. Come on, tell them that. Yeah, amen. Okay? So everything God does is very good. Everything the devil does is very bad. <laughs> He's the opposite of God. He's the antithesis of God. God loves, Satan hates. God gives life, Satan's the murderer from the beginning. God tells the truth, the devil tells the lie. He, he's the antithesis of everything that God is. And there is a real devil in the world. And Jesus said the thief, the devil, comes but for three reasons. Jesus came to teach, preach, and heal. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. So everything that God does is good. So when did it become bad? Look at Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned. Sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So we are now living in a world that's cursed. God will one day lift the curse, but not yet. The curse can be lifted from our souls, but the curse is still on planet Earth. And it's because the federal head of creation, which God entrusted to Adam, he gave it over to the devil when he disobeyed God. He handed it over to the devil. And that's why the Bible says... 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Satan is the God of this world, this cosmos, this world system. God is ultimate supreme, absolutely, and sovereign, has not abdicated his throne, but Satan is in control of this world. God's not in control of this world because man gave, it, in, in, gave the control of this world to the devil. So he's the small case G, God of this world for a time, and he's on a leash. So we live in a world of sin, of death, and decay. And that we experience that. 
in our lives, in our relationships, in our families, battling sickness, battling disease, uh, mental illness. And God is in the heavens, and he wants to bring wholeness, and he wants to bring healing. There's a story of healing in John's Gospel, chapter 9. There's a man that was born blind. Jesus supernaturally heals this man. You can read the story in John's Gospel, chapter 9. And the disciples, uh, you know, they, they had this, this they had, a, they had a, a question, and it was a wrong question. Now, God's not obligated to answer our dumb questions, okay? Uh, if we ask God a dumb question, we'll know it's a dumb question if he doesn't answer us. Because the disciples asked a dumb question, like, what's the dumb question? They said, who sinned, this man or his parents? You see, their theology was, Anything bad in your life, it must be your fault. Or if it's not your fault, it's got to be your parents' fault. How many know we'll still, we are still trying to perpetrate that lie in our society today, right? We want to blame everything on mom and dad. So Jesus said neither. But that the glory of God would manifest came I into the world. So notice how he answered it by not answering it. And the, what, the answer he was given is, not everything that we suffer or endure in life is a result of our sin or somebody else's sin, okay? We live in a fallen world. But number two, sometimes it is a result of personal sin. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. Uh, the Corinthian church was a very carnal church. They had all types of sin, dysfunction, disunity. Uh, and in the letter that Paul wrote in the 11th chapter, they were not properly discerning the, the Lord's Supper, they were not properly discerning the spiritual body of Christ because they were at odds with one another, fighting with one another, strife and discord. And they were sinning, and that sin was opening up the door of the enemy into their lives and into that church. They were not discerning the, the communion elements itself. There are two aspects to communion, two symbols, the bread and the juice. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The juice represents the blood of Jesus. What do these two symbols represent? healing and atonement for your spirit and your soul and your emotions, but also physical healing. The bread represents his body broken so that you and I could experience wholeness in our life. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by the physical blows that Jesus received, by his stripes, we are healed. So God provides healing, spirit, soul, and body. Forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all of your iniquities. He heals all of your diseases. But there are times we can open up the door to the enemy in our life by way of personal sin. So look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 11.30. For this reason, this is Paul talking to Christians at the church at Corinth. For this reason, many of you are weak when you don't need to be. Many of you are sick when you don't, not all of them, but many. Many of you are sick when you don't need to be. And many sleep. That's a coded reference for, for death. Many of you are dying prematurely. Why? Because of their disobedience and not honoring the Lord's provision, they were opening up the door to the enemy. There's another guy in John's Gospel, chapter 5, that Jesus miraculously healed. And later on, Jesus found him in the temple and said this to him. He says, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Now, Sin, sickness, and suffering is not the result of sin, but at times it can be. In this instance, this man had a physical ailment that he suffered from because of his personal sin. And Jesus, in his mercy and compassion, healed him, but he gave him a warning. Make sure you stop sinning. We don't know what the sin was, 
Make sure you stop sinning in this area because if you don't, something worse can happen to you. So how many of you know uh, what it says in Galatians 6? God's not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he reap. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap destruction. If we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap life, life eternal. So what a man sows, a man reaps. So sometimes it is our fault. Not all the time, but sometimes the things that we may be struggling with in our life is because we're opening the door to the devil. How many know that we need to shut the door on the devil? And when he knocks or rings the doorbell, don't answer, okay? Don't answer. Um, sometimes poor living, poor eating habits, poor sleeping habits, we're sowing the wrong seeds in the field of our heart, the field of our life, and so we suffer because of that. The third reason is outright satanic attack. Matthew 8, 16 and 17, when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So in this case, not in every case, sometimes sickness is the result of demonic activity. Not all the time. Look at your neighbor and say, not all the time, okay? You know, somebody gets sick, you got the devil in you. <laughs> They'll probably look back and say, now you're the devil. Get out, get out of here. So what did Jesus do? It says he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Verse 17, I want you to read this out loud with me. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. You know, there was a time that Jesus uh, cast the devil out of some individuals, and the religious leaders, the religious leaders said, it's only by the prince of demons, Beelzebub, that you're able to do this. And Jesus said, whoa, wait, time out. You can say anything you want to say against the Son of Man, and it will be forgiven. But if you go to assigning what the Son of Man is doing by the power of the Holy Spirit to a demon, watch out, because you're about to cross a line, a point of no return. If you say anything bad against the Holy Spirit, that is blasphemy, and that's the only sin that will not be forgiven. And then he revealed how incoherent, irrational, and illogical their, their argument was. He said this. He said, if Satan is casting out Satan, he's working against himself, and his kingdom is divided and cannot stand. So let's apply that to the kingdom of God. If God makes people sick only so Jesus could heal them, how many of you know that God is working against himself, his kingdom is divided, and his kingdom can therefore not stand? And I say that because many of you perhaps were raised uh, in your faith tradition, how you were raised, the, the doxy or the, the, the dogma of how you were raised, the doctrine of how you were raised. Many of you believe that God does indeed make people sick, that God makes his children sick because he wants to teach them a lesson. What kind of God would make his children sick. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to, to them that ask? If you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for an egg, he's not going to give you a snake. God is a giver of good gifts, and God no more makes his children sick to teach them a lesson like any earthly parent would ever make their children sick to teach them a lesson. God wants to make us whole, and God wants to make us well because he is a healing God. 1 John 3, 8, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning, and for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. There are the works of God in the earth, there are the works of man, and there are the works of devils, the work of demons. And one of the works of Satan is sickness and disease. 
And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So here's what you need to know. Number one, God is a healer. In Exodus 15, 26, he's called Jehovah Rapha. He's called, I am the Lord that heals you. He is the Lord that heals your marriages, heals your relationships, heals you from your past, heals you from trauma, heals you from post-traumatic stress syndrome, heals you from uh, acute anxiety disorder. And there's no guilt. There's no condemnation. If you're suffering with that, it's okay not to be okay. God loves you the way you are. But he loves you and I so much, he's not going to leave us the way we are. He's going to bring healing. He's going to pour in the oil. He's going to pour in the wine. He's going to provide you grace every moment of every day. Can it all go away instantaneously? Yes. Can it go away through a process? Yes. Whether it happens instantaneously or it happens over time, we trust God every day, every moment of every day, knowing that his grace is sufficient for us. He won't give up on you. Don't you give up on you. He's a healer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, this is the confidence that we have. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have what we've asked for. And then it says in Matthew 14, 14, how Jesus went about teaching, preaching, healing the sick because he was moved with compassion. And the Lord in this service is right now moving towards your life and my life with compassion. The same Jesus. Number two, healing glorifies God. The Bible says in Mark 16, 20 that he confirmed his word with signs following. And this sign in Acts 3 that occurred in this miracle of this man's life produced a, another glorious outpouring of God's grace in the lives of people. And number three, it is God's will to bring healing in your life. Mark 11, 22, 23, 24, 25 says, you know, if you have a need in your life, you're to pray in faith and believe that you have received it and then you shall have it. That's how faith works. Faith doesn't see it and then believes Faith believes and then sees it. And so by faith, we receive healing. Whether we feel healed or look healed or not, we don't deny reality. But by faith, we say, I believe I'm healed. And I believe that God is doing a work in my life. And it can be instantaneous or it can be over time. And we don't allow our condition to define us. We allow God's word to define our condition. And greater is he in us than that condition that we may be battling with, knowing that his grace is sufficient. So here's what we're going to do. I want everybody to stand to their feet. We're going to look at one more verse of Scripture, James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. It says this. Let's read it out loud together. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, say it again, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. You know, James sounds like Peter. Faith in his name has made this man strong and sound. So we're going to take God at his word. We're not trying to manipulate God. We're not trying to manipulate you. Our prayer team members are going to come to the front. We're going to have them on the sides of the church. We're going to have prayer team members up in the balcony. We're going to begin to worship. Let me give you some instructions. We're going to begin to worship. As we begin to worship, people are going to begin to come forward, and we're going to simply do what it says to do here in James 5, call for the elders of the church. Now, not everybody that, uh, that's up here is an elder, but they've all been appointed by the elders to administer the healing touch of Jesus in the lives of God's people today. Last service, we had over 500 people that came forward to be prayed for. We don't have to go into much detail 
just come forward. If it's prayers for you, you don't even have to say anything. We're going to anoint you with oil, and we're going to speak the prayer of faith in the name of Jesus over you, and we're going to trust for results. If the prayer is for a loved one that's not here, you could say, this prayer is for my loved one. You can stand in proxy for them, and we'll still anoint you with oil and speak the prayer of faith in the name of Jesus over you, and then we're going to trust God for the results. They can be instantaneous, or they can be over a process of time, but how many know in the end, God will have his glory in your life and in my life. Amen. So let's begin to worship and come to the front, up in the balcony, in the sides, and receive ministry in Jesus' name. Thank you. But if you're here today, the most incredible miracle that you could experience in your life is the miracle of salvation. And if you've never surrendered your heart and life to Jesus, today is the greatest day, the greatest opportunity of your life to open up your heart and receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Christ the Lord will come into your life and he'll change your life from the inside out. And I want to lead you in a prayer. If you'll say this prayer with your own mouth and mean it from your own heart, the greatest of miracles will occur. Christ will come into your life to be your Lord and Savior. The rest of the church will even pray this prayer out loud with you. Let's say this together. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord?